You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. I hope that you are excited for what God has for you this morning. And I hope you're really excited about our summer groups that are coming up this summer. I, I think everybody needs to put themselves in a position to hear from God this summer and grow. And so I really believe the Lord is gonna bless you through a group. So don't miss out. You can go to our website to learn more. All right, well, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Galatians Five. I'm sure many of you during this time at home, you've been watching the news. And I know there are a lot of people in America who feel like their freedom is being taken away right now because of COVID-19. And uh, because of the virus, we're, we're being asked to stay at home, wear a mask, not gather in large groups. And a lot of people are getting really, really upset. I mean, we think, hey, we live in America, the land of the free. What's actually happening to us right now? And, and yes, we live in freedom in America, but, but right now you might feel like it feels a little bit more like bondage than freedom. And it's, it's very similar to how the people in Galatia felt. They were free, but they were actually living in bondage. And so I wanna start today with a question and just simply ask, what does it really mean to be free? What, what does freedom actually mean? Uh, I think some people assume that freedom means getting to do whatever we want, whenever we wanna do it. They think any restrictions on behavior from the government or from churches or, or just from any people would actually violate their freedom. But according to the Bible, this is the opposite of freedom. You see, true freedom is not doing what I want when I want. That kind of lifestyle is actually very destructive because your behavior can hurt yourself and it can obviously hurt other people. So, I mean, imagine someone saying, I'm an American, I'm free to drive how I wanna drive. I'm not gonna uh, uh, drive on the right side of the road anymore. I wanna drive on the left side of the road. Well, we have laws against that. And if you drive on the left side, you might feel free, but it won't be long before you hurt yourself and you hurt someone else. So some laws don't infringe on our freedom. They actually lead to freedom. So yes, we might feel free while we sin, but sin always, always, always enslaves us. It never frees us. Uh, it's, it's the teenagers that, that says, hey, my parents are out of town. We're free, let's have a party. And yes, at the party, it feels freeing. But when the cops show up and mom and dad find out, you get grounded from your car and a host of other you know, issues that you've got to deal with now. And you realize that the party wasn't freedom. It was a trap to enslave you and put you in bondage. Just like an alcoholic may want to be free to get drunk or a drug addict may demand his liberty to take drugs, but alcoholics and drug addicts are not free. Their, their appetites enslave them. So when the Bible talks about freedom, here's what it actually means. Freedom is, is the fact that we are liberated from the power of sin, from the fear of death and the schemes of the devil. So we are liberated from the power of sin. God does not see us as as, as with uh, sin in our life, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So the power of sin is gone. We are uh, uh, freed from the fear of death. We don't have to fear death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're also experiencing freedom from the schemes of the devil. Any temptation that comes our way, the scripture teaches us that God will provide a way out. So that does not have any power over us. So 
Today, we're gonna learn what exactly might be preventing you from experiencing freedom in Christ and how to serve God out of love and gratitude instead of like you're following a list of rules, okay? So let's look at your Bible. Uh, We're in chapter five and we are beginning in verse one. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in one verse here, Paul gives us a summary of really the last couple of chapters. So if you're just tuning in to this series, uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about. And he says, okay, it is for freedom that Christ has done what? Well, he has set us free. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, because we're free, we are now called to then stand firm, right? And so we want to stand firm and we're not going to submit. And look at this word right here. It's very interesting. He says, don't submit again. Now, why would he say again? Well, it's obvious because we were actually living that way at another point in our life. He warns us that this freedom can actually be lost. So don't go back to it again. No, by going back to the way you used to live, uh, you already lived a life with this yoke of slavery. And so he's, he's, he's very clearly teaching us that we used to live this way. So don't go back to this heavy burden. A yoke was that heavy wooden harness that they would use to put around two big animals like an ox and and they would pull that heavy burden together. That's what it feels like to live apart from Jesus. You're, You're trying to be good enough. You're confused. You're working so hard to be approved and it's miserable. It's slavery. Paul says, don't go back to that kind of lifestyle. Uh, maybe you committed your life to Christ and, and then you kind of went back to your old lifestyle. You didn't grow, you didn't learn. Nobody taught you how to follow Jesus. So you prayed a prayer and then you went back to living exactly how you were. It's no wonder that you're bored with religion today. Religion was never meant to change your life. It was never meant to fulfill you. It was meant to enslave you uh, to the rules and the regulations to try to get God to like you. But listen, it is impossible to do that. When God saves you, you enter into a growing relationship that changes your life. And what you need is a relationship with Jesus, not rules. And that relationship then begins to lead us to freedom. All right, let's keep going here in verse two. He says this, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, scripture repeats itself, um, and and especially here in Galatians, and and, uh, the repetition has purpose. We need to listen, and we need to keep listening until it actually sinks in. It's, it's why business, uh, uh, businesses pay premium prices to have commercials on TV with, you know, with those terrible jingles, you know, you watch it one day and, and you think it's annoying, but by the time you've watched it a thousand times, you're singing it by memory, right? And so Paul says, okay, if you accept this circumcision, there are a few things that are happening. If you accept circumcision, the first thing is you are going to be obligated to do what? You're going to be obligated to keep the entire law. So 
If you're thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work my way into heaven, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live my very best and maybe God will accept me. He says, here's how it works. You can't just have a part of the law. If you try to accomplish salvation through work, you're not just gonna get some of the law, you're obligated to keep the whole thing. He says also, if you're gonna accept this circumcision, and by the way, what that basically means for you and I today is a work-based salvation, right? Uh, and, and so that was the issue for the Galatian churches. And he, he says, if you're going through this work-based mentality, you're gonna be obligated to keep the whole law. And he also says what? He says, you're gonna be severed from Christ. So this mentality, this way of living, works-based is gonna obligate you to the entire law. It's gonna sever you actually from Christ. You see, Jesus is either everything or he is nothing. If you're trusting in some kind of religious act to make you acceptable to God, he says you are severed from Christ. And you see, the Galatians thought this religious act of circumcision would make them acceptable to God. Today, it would be like someone trusting in church membership or trusting in baptism to get saved or trusting in just simply being Catholic to be saved or maybe trusting in like I was, you know, in confirmation as a kid uh, and, and leaning on that work or that that, that um, class or whatever it is to actually earn favor with God. Some of you are trusting in one of these things uh, to make you acceptable to God. So your trust in your Catholic heritage or your trust in the fact that you were, you know, your, your mom taught you about God or she was faithful to God. Uh, God wants you to know that stuff cannot make you acceptable to God. It will not save you. And it, in fact, cannot save you. If, you. if you trust and work to save you, you must keep the entire law. You're severed from Christ. And then thirdly here, what does he say? He says that you have actually fallen from grace. So if you're, if you're, if you're tuning into and, and working for your salvation, then that work-based mentality also means that you have, in fact, fallen away from grace. So what does it mean to fall away from grace? Does this mean that we can lose our salvation? Um, I, I think we always have to remember the context, uh, what we have actually been talking about in this whole chapter and, and really the entire book. And so if you're just randomly gonna pull a verse out of context, you might be able to preach a sermon, you know, entirely about how to lose your salvation from this one phrase. But Paul is talking about a works-based religion versus faith in Christ alone. He's not talking about our eternal security. So you cannot lose your salvation once you genuinely have it, but we can lose our freedom in the gospel. And we do that by allowing fear to enslave us, by submitting to temptation and refusing to actually stand firm. What he means is that anyone who rejects Christ and believes in a works-based religion is outside the community of God's grace. He's not and, and has no part in God's church. You might want to write this down. It, it kind of sums it up like this. If you can't earn it, you can't unearn it. I don't actually know if unearn is a word, but it actually kind of flows well. And the point is this, we cannot earn our salvation. And since we can't earn it, that means we can't unearn it. 
Only the person who stands before God free of sin and condemnation will be acceptable to God and enter heaven. So the question is, are you free of sin? Are you free of condemnation? And if you say, man, I'm, I'm trying to be free. Uh, listen, you could never be free on your own. If you say, well, I'm religious. Listen, God doesn't care about religion. Here's what he says in verse six. He says, for in Christ Jesus, in, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uh, un circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says it, it, it really counts for what? It doesn't count for anything. It's nothing. That work, whether you do it or don't do it, he's like, I don't want, it counts for nothing, but what does matter, only faith, right? My good performance does not make me right with God. My bad performance doesn't make me any more lost or bad. And so this impacts our thinking in so many ways. When you experience success, it's not because God decided to love you more. Uh, you should say when you experience success, thank you, God, for already loving me and blessing me even further. I don't deserve it. Um, and when you face a problem, it's not because God decided to love you less. You can say, God, you're allowing this because you love me and I may not understand it, but one day I will. I can't wait for that day. But until then, I know my performance is irrelevant. God, you love me and you are for me and you are with me. He is, his blessing is already with me and my future is blessed because I know I belong to him. So think about it like this. Imagine I asked my wife, Micah, to marry me and she says yes. Uh, but the very next day, she set up a meeting with my mom and dad and, and said, uh, hey guys, um, I said yes to marry Trent, but before we start planning the wedding, I need, you to, I need to know how much money are you guys actually gonna leave him when you die? <laughs> my parents would have looked at her like she was crazy. And uh, guess how it would have made me feel? I would have felt like, man, she, she would only love me if I came with an inheritance. I, I would feel used and, and, and I would know that she doesn't love me for me. We, listen, we all know that we don't feel loved by someone unless we are loved for who we are, not for what we bring to the other person. Now let's relate to that to the gospel for a minute. God loves you, not because of what you bring to the table. In fact, you, you bring nothing to the table. Nothing we have makes him any smarter or richer or happier. He loves you for you, all of you, the pretty parts of you, the ugly parts of you. And, and from our side, when, when you thought your behavior set, uh, actually saved you, you were going to church and serving God for what you could get from God. You were, you were using God. But, but when you understand the gospel and God's free grace, you see that grace and the beauty of God and you begin to love him for who he is, not just for what he has actually done for you. And so uh, we all stand equally lost at the foot of the cross. We're on even ground, just like the coronavirus doesn't care what color skin uh, you have or how much money you have or where you live. The virus attacks everyone. Sin has infected every single person and, and, and we're born with it, but we are also equally able to be saved by the grace of Jesus who died in our place on the cross. And this understanding can give you peace during this uh, pandemic and, and stress and anxiety that we are all going through right now. All right, let's keep going here in verse seven. 
he says this. Uh, again, we're, well, let's go back to verse one here. Remember what he says in verse one. He actually tells us, and, and I, wanna, I wanna remind us that it's for freedom, right? That Christ has done what? That he set us free. So remember that. He's telling us to stand firm and do not submit again to the slavery we once lived in. So verse seven now, he says, you were running, right? So he's given us kind of uh, this analogy here. He says, you were running really well. Things were going great. And so he asked a question. Uh, This question is, who in fact hindered you, right? Who hindered you? Hindered you from what? Who hindered you from obeying God's truth, right? He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. That didn't come from the Lord. He says, this is coming from somewhere else. So who in fact hindered you? The word hinder means to cut in or interfere. It's the idea of running a race and someone cuts in on you and, and kind of trips you up. And so if you're a track uh, runner, uh, you, you maybe have experienced that. I know back in the day, back in eighth grade for me, it was uh, field day and uh, we were on our relay team and, and I was uh, running this race with, this, uh, with three other guys. I was, I was the anchor of the relay. That meant that I was number four. And so I was, I was gonna you know, bring the championship home, right? And, and uh, we were expected to win. We already run, had won the first and the second heat of the day. And uh, we, we were racing in the finals. And if we won this, that meant that we would go to the county match. And most importantly, this would get you out of school for an entire day, right? And so this was huge for us. And so off we're running, you know, the, you know, the gun goes off and, and we're actually winning. And when the baton comes to me, uh, the, the, you know, the fourth leg of the race, I take off. We're actually in the lead. And on the final turn, as I was coming around, I could see the finish line. Um, and, and as you come around the corner there, um, I, you know how it's kind of confusing. Like you've got the hundred yard dash lines coming in. Then you've got these lines that are uh, coming around. And it was at that moment as I was coming around the, the, the curve, looking at the finish line, I decided, and I kind of felt somebody close to me. I decided to turn around and look who was behind me. And when I turned and when I looked, I turned back around and here are these lines that are all kind of confusing and crossing up on me. And I actually stepped over the line and took a few strides in the wrong lane. When I caught myself, I got back over, but I looked up and sure enough, I saw the gym teacher looking at me and pointing right at me. And, and if you know anything about track, you know what that means. If you run outside the lane, you get disqualified. And even though I was the first one across the finish line and our team won, our team was disqualified. And everybody on my team wanted to kick me in the face. Uh, I, I had to learn a really hard lesson that day in eighth grade. And it was, if you wanna win the race, you have to keep your eyes on the finish line. If you're focused on what other people are doing, if you're letting other people influence you away from the gospel, you're comparing your life to other people, you're gonna miss the race that God wants you to run. And if you're looking back at your past, you're allowing guilt to crush you and you're, you're missing this calling that God has for you today. So I wanna give you three things that we're seeing here that, that could be potentially keeping you from actually standing firm in your faith. And the first thing is this, what's keeping you? Number one, it might be unhealthy relationships. Paul said, what's hindering you from obeying the truth? What's hindering you today? Maybe you can think of a person who is hindering you from following Christ. Is there someone in your life that's hindering you from obeying the truth? Maybe it's a friend. 
They keep you from coming to church. They keep you engaged in sin. They're encouraging you to sin. Listen, that is not a friend. That's an enemy. Uh, Maybe it's your past that's hindering you. Um, Listen, why would you let your past mistakes keep you from a future that God wants you to experience? God says, I've forgiven you. Why why wouldn't you seek counsel to help you break free from that and, and, and move forward in freedom? And so I think all of us need to think about our relationships in our life today and start to think about, are there any unhealthy relationships that are keeping me from obeying the truth of scripture? Look at verse nine. Verse nine says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, In the Bible, leaven represents evil. And at this time, it was common for people to make their own bread. Not so much uh, today. Maybe there's some people out there that like to make bread. My sister-in-law, Christy, loves to make bread and is incredible about it. She's probably watching from Africa today. I hope you and Todd are doing well, by the way. Uh, But some of you guys make bread. You know that a little bit of yeast actually uh, influences the whole uh, dough to make it Raise. And so um, Jesus actually made this point before. He said one time, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and here Paul is using the same analogy. In the same way, he's basically saying it only takes one bad teacher. It only takes one bad influence to knock you off your path. Uh, my dad always used to tell me, Trent, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you know, that's not just a a cool quote from someone uh, or a random idea. It's actually a biblical concept. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. So if you walk with wise people, you will become wise. But if you hang out with foolish people, harm is gonna come your way. Uh, Listen, that's not just good advice for teenagers. It's true for adults as well. Think of who you hang around uh, most days and, and think about that for a minute. And, and, and you can begin to start to get the picture of where your life is actually headed. Now, that might be scary for some of you. You hang around a rough crowd and some of you probably think, man, I don't hang out with a rough crowd or anything, but, but I, I hang out with people that don't really love Jesus. Now, listen, good or bad, who you are around most is, is who you are becoming. And so one of the reasons why I love small group is because it puts you around people that have a, a, a like-mindedness to grow and to Uh, experience Christ in a a deeper way. So the takeaway is is simple. It's it's this, like spend time with people you actually want to be like. And then when you're hanging out with a crowd that you may not want to be like them, make sure you are the positive influence that everyone there actually needs. All right, let's keep going here in verse 13. He says, for you were called to what? You were called to freedom. Again, we see this word. This whole entire chapter is about freedom in Christ. And he says, this freedom in Christ, brothers, you don't wanna use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so, yes, we are free, but we don't wanna let that take us to an opportunity to actually sin and live a life that is worldly out of our desire to sin. He says that freedom should not lead you to fleshly desires. Instead, let that freedom in Christ lead you to love others. Not only love others, but let it lead you to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's basically saying, 
Don't let your freedom give you a license to sin. True Christianity means that you aren't abusing your freedom saying, hey, I know this is sin, but I'll ask God for forgiveness in the morning. Uh, The gospel does not free you to sin. That's a a wrong understanding. So if you're taking notes, what might be keeping you uh, today from standing firm? It might be a wrong understanding of the gospel, okay? Trent, you're probably thinking, hey, you said I can't lose my salvation. So that means that I can just go sleep with a bunch of women and get drunk all the time, right? Remember, that's not freedom. That's a wrong definition of freedom. That's actually slavery. Anything that leads us to sin is actually bondage, not freedom, because sin is a slave master. Uh, We think it's fun for a minute. And let's be honest, sometimes it feels good. Sometimes um, it it, it is fun, but not for long. Immediately, uh, the guilt and the shame will kick in. And uh, we aren't, if if we aren't careful, uh, we'll we'll be enchained. We'll, We'll be in bondage to this behavior. It'll have a power over us. So you might write it down like this. You can't lose it, but that doesn't mean you can abuse it. Essentially, no, if you are genuinely a follower of Jesus, you cannot lose that salvation. You didn't earn it, so you can't unearn it, right? But that doesn't mean you can abuse that freedom. Now, preaching the gospel makes a lot of people nervous because, you know, we're, we're, we talk about all this freedom, especially for parents. We think, man, uh, sure, yes, I, I agree, we're called to live in freedom, but, but we can't really talk about freedom to our kids. They need to know about all the rules because they need to follow those rules. And if they follow those rules, uh, we look better. And the problem is uh, that parents start to care more about kids following rules instead of kids developing a relationship with Jesus. Um, I heard Paul Tripp explain it like this. And uh, he said, I've got an apple tree in the backyard. And, and, and every year my tree produces dry, brittle, small, hard apples, right? Bad fruit. I've, I've got an apple tree in my backyard as well. And, and uh, when you see those apples that aren't good, you, you know that this tree is an apple tree, but you know something's not quite right with it. Um, and, and in fact, if you try to plant tomato seeds in the ground and, and uh, you expect an apple tree, you're, you're wrong, right? Uh, the, the, the tree that we see grow, when it produces fruit, you know what kind of tree it is. So, so my tree only produces hard, brittle apples and uh, they fall to the ground every year. They rot. It's a terrible tree. Now, what if my wife comes to me and says, Shrimp, it doesn't make sense to have an apple tree that doesn't produce good fruit. So I, I, I think about it and I say, okay, Saturday morning, I'm gonna fix it. And I go out there and I get the ladder and, and I get the nail gun and I get three bushels of red, delicious apples. And uh, I, I cut off all the hard, gross apples. And, and then I start nailing these red apples to the tree, Right. Now, if you are a neighbor that walks by from a distance, they might think, man, look at that. He's growing an incredible apple tree. But, but my wife who watched me do this is going to think I'm crazy. Uh, what, what's going to happen to all the apples that I've nailed to the tree? They're going to rot they're going to decompose because they're not connected to the life-giving root of the tree. And what's going to happen next season? The tree's going to produce bad fruit again. Why? There's something systematically wrong with that tree. And if you don't get to the root, it will never change. 
Now listen, um, my kids went to a Christian school and, and uh, for, for us, it's nothing more than apple nailing. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that most Christian education is nothing more than, than apple nailing and, and uh, we're good at it. And it's hard to get it out of our system. They spend so much time judging others and, 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 and monitoring rule following and they spend zero time helping a kid know Jesus. Homeschool parents, beware of creating the same system of apple nailing. So here's my takeaway and what I want to spend a minute talking about. I don't want to raise apple nailers. I, I don't want to raise kids that just look like they're following the rules. I want them to be connected to the gospel. I want to connect them to the power of Jesus. I want them to be connected to the life transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I don't want to lead a church of apple nailers. What if every Sunday morning you wake up and, and you nail a few you know, apples to your tree so that when you get here, you look pretty, you look great. You're following the rules. And uh, people think, man, you must be so happy. No, you're missing the entire point. I, I, I don't want us to experience that as a church. I, I want us to be real and authentic. And listen, I'm, I've given up trying to fake it. Uh, what you see is, is what you get. I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. Uh, when, well, I've been speaking for 20 years now and uh, I still get nervous every time I speak. Sometimes it scares me to death as I think about my own inadequacies. Yet I find in my own weaknesses, God blesses other people. And listen, God wants to take your greatest weaknesses and turn it into a strength. And Foothills Church is a place where people have the freedom to be real. All of your problems are welcome. All of your hangups, your difficulties. It's a place where people can be honest and say, I'm not making it right now. Somebody help me. And nobody's gonna judge them or, or, or put them down, but they're gonna be loved and accepted because we're all in the same boat. The fact is, everybody here is a sinner. Nobody's perfect. And we've all blown it. I know that, you know that. None of us in here is any better than anyone else. And so what we're trying to do is build a place that's based on grace, not guilt. It's based on trusting, not trying. It's built on relationships, not rules. Our church is a family. And I invite you to join us. We're not perfect, no church is. But I think we're headed in the right direction. And the right direction is found here in verse 13, where he says, serve one another, love your neighbor. Paul now is, is actually quoting the greatest commandment from the Old Testament to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are free from the law that says, do this in order to be saved. But once we have faith in, in Christ, God saves us and the spirit uses the, the moral law of God to help us experience freedom. And his point is that we experience freedom as as we love others, as we serve others. Uh, but we don't serve to get God's love. We already have that. But we're motivated to serve because we're so thankful for God's grace and his spirit that is in us, changing us and giving us more freedom as we live for him. Uh, we've created a resource for you online that, that really helps you learn and understand how to be a good neighbor, how to serve your neighbor, specifically during this uh, crisis, this season of of COVID-19, I encourage you to go to our website to learn more ways about how to be a good neighbor. In verse 13, he gives us the picture here. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit. This is 16 actually. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, 
orgies and the like. So he's telling us here that we are to walk by the Spirit. This is how a follower of Jesus is to walk and to live their life. We walk by the Spirit. And when you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? And so what does walking by the Spirit look like? Uh, What does this mean by walking towards the Spirit? It means you're walking away from sinful desires here. And so this list of all of these sins, he starts with, you know, sexual immorality, uh, impurity, and sensuality. Uh, These are uh, more on the lines of sexual sin. And so sex before marriage, he's saying, will lead you into bondage. It it will lead you uh, to dark, bad places. And and that's between a man and a woman, or it could be between a man and a man, or a, a woman and a woman. He says the Bible is clear. Marriage is designed for a man and a woman uh, who make a covenant together for life. And and in the confines of that covenant, they experience uh, sex and and they multiply and they have kids and they, they, they have a family. And he says, if you depart from that, you are in fact going to bring yourself into bondage. Uh, what else is, uh, is on this list? I mean, you could throw in pornography and gratifying your lustful desires. It's gonna lead you to dark places. Um, now you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Trent. Uh, I thought we were free. Now you sound like the rules guy. Here's the point. When you're walking in sin, you're choosing to gratify your sinful desires. You're walking back into slavery again. You're driving on the left side of the road. And he says, don't, gratify those desires. In your, in your mind, you think freedom is, is driving on the wrong side of the road. Maybe getting drunk, sleeping with women, but that's not freedom. That life is slavery. It leads to emptiness, pain, and ultimately it leads to death. So what might be keeping you from standing firm today? Number three, if you're taking notes, it might be the fact that you're gratifying your desires to sin. Gratifying your sinful desires is what might be keeping you from standing firm and experiencing the freedom of Christ. Now listen, instead of gratifying your sin uh, and your desire to sin, he's telling us to walk toward freedom. Now listen, I want freedom. I'm sure you want freedom. You want to experience freedom. What does it look like then to walk toward freedom? This is what actually brings freedom in our life. He says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no what? There is no law. What's he saying? Listen, when you are walking towards the fruits of the spirit, when you are demonstrating love and joy and peace towards other people, you are not nailing apples to the tree. You can try to nail apples uh, to the tree. You can, you can try to nail the apple of peace to your tree, but it will become rotten and it's gonna fall off because you can't generate peace on your own. That's the fruit of God's spirit inside of you. All of this comes from within you. The spirit creates it in us. The spirit allows it to grow in us. And as we are living towards and walking towards the fruits of these spirits, God changes us and we experience freedom in relationships, freedom with Christ, freedom at work, freedom financially, And this is what we're after. But in order to begin to experience this as followers of Christ, it it means that we need to walk towards this freedom together. So what's inside of you is actually what's coming out of you. Now think about it like this. Let me grab a little water bottle here. So if I take this water bottle and, and I shake it for just a quick second, 
right? Why did water come out? And you might answer, well, because you shook it. But what if I change my inflection there and I say, why did water come out? Well, then you would say, because that's what's in it. Now, listen, I could shake this bottle all day long and I could hope that that milk comes out of it, but it's never gonna happen because milk isn't inside of this bottle. Water's inside of this bottle. So listen, what's coming out of your life today? What's coming out tells you what's inside of you. Can you honestly say that you are walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit today? Maybe you've never actually taken the first step of of faith and committed your life to Christ. And if not, I wanna encourage you to do that today. What a great way to spend this time of, of quarantine by opening up your heart to the God who made you, the creator of the universe and, and who made you for a purpose. Jesus said in his very first sermon, I came to bring freedom and I came to set people free and, and that's his purpose for you. He doesn't want us to you know, pretend like we have it all together. He, he wants us to actually experience his freedom. We can't fake what's inside of us. And so when we look at the fruits of the spirit, we have to say, is that me? Do I see evidence of the fruit of the spirit coming out of me, no matter what I hope I am, am I in fact a changed walking believer of Christ? Listen, wherever there is genuine Christianity, you will find freedom. And the question is, do you have that freedom today? And if you'd like to receive it, um, simply make this commitment to God. Let's just have a, a, a time for you to commit your life to Christ right now, no matter where you are. I wanna encourage you to Uh, lift this prayer up to God and just confess to him. Just say, God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Confess it right now to him. Say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the grave. And today I wanna commit my life to him. And I ask you to save me today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And thank you for walking with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, I wanna encourage you to text the number below because we wanna, we wanna help you, encourage you and resource you any way that we possibly can today. And church, listen, I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring to you. I hope that, that you are seeing the freedom that Jesus provides and together, we're not only gonna get through this challenging season, we're gonna continue to see God do amazing things. Lastly, if you're just somebody that wants to pray with someone, like you want someone to pray with you, you, you just wanna share some things that might be going on in your life, we've got a prayer line and this number is coming up on the screen now that you can call right now and you can talk to a real live person who wants to pray with you and encourage you today. Encourage you to do that. Listen, I'm excited about next Sunday. You guys have a great week. We love you guys and we can't wait for Galatians chapter six as we wrap up this sermon series next Sunday. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.